0: Good morning. Today's talk is going to be a little bit different to usual because we need to take this opportunity to bring you up to speed on some important news. So if you're a guest or a visitor with us this morning I'm afraid we're going to be a little bit insider focused so please accept my apologies for that. We were all ready to share this with you back in March, just a few days before the government announced the lockdown. And so we had to put it on hold until what was happening became a bit clearer. What we want to share with you is something that the main leadership team and the trustees have been aware of and working on with us for over a year now. So let me tell you right away what that news is, and then I'll spend a little bit of time explaining it in a bit more detail. Lynn and I are going to be retiring as senior pastors this September. And we'll be succeeded by James Tweets, who's currently assistant pastor on the staff team. So that's the headline. And what I want to do now is spend a bit of time just explaining the background to that and try to answer some of the questions that you may have. So let me start by saying that neither of us has done something naughty. By which, of course, I mean that I haven't done something naughty. Because everybody knows that Lynn would never do anything naughty, so it would have to be me. But I haven't, and that is not the reason. Also, neither of us has any dread disease or anything like that, so we're not retiring for health reasons. And we haven't been tempted by another job, we're not going to lead another church somewhere else or anything like that. And then finally, no one has thrown us out. No one's asked to leave. It's completely our decision. So I'm going to cover what I want to say this morning under three headings or three questions. And then Lynn is going to say a few words and then James. So number one, why are we retiring? Number two, why now, especially when we're in the middle of this pandemic? And number three, why James? So still a three-point sermon. And on this occasion, very easy to remember. Why, why, why? People often say that to me after my sermons. Why, why, why? But now they've got a perfect excuse. So number one, why are we retiring at all? Well, we've been in the church Eight years, ago, eight years now, and we've been leading it as senior pastors for the last seven. And those who've been in the church throughout that time will know that there's been a huge amount of change. The church has doubled in size. We've been up to nearly 500 on a Sunday morning. We've gone from a staff of six to a staff of 14. We've gone to two Sunday services instead of one, and a whole lot of other changes along the way as well. So the question really is for 2021 onwards, where does the church go from here? Now, clearly no one can lead a church forever. So the question is not whether there should ever be a change, but when that change should be, which is not all about us and how long we could carry on for. Now, speaking personally, I've always had a bit of a thing about passing my sell-by date There's way more of a tendency for church leaders to stay too long in a job than stop too early. I will be 65 next year, and although people always say nice things about how I don't look that old or whatever, I know myself that the older you get, the less energy you have. And leading a church, or at least leading it well, needs lots of energy. Although my health is fine, not everyone will know that seven years ago, the very week that Lynn and I took over from Mick and Lynn Elias as senior pastors, and in fact it was the very evening before our first Sunday service in charge, on that Saturday evening before, I had a stroke. We didn't know that's what it was at the time. After a short while, I I felt a bit better and I decided that I would just go to bed and sleep off whatever it was. Although I do remember going into my study on the way where my sermon was open on the computer screen and I couldn't read a word of it. The whole thing was just a blur. Anyway, I felt well enough to do the service the following Sunday morning, which was when I'd planned to talk about our vision for leading the church. And there was no way that I wanted to miss out on doing that. So we went to the hospital after the service, and at first they thought it was a mini-stroke because of the limited symptoms I had. And then they did an MRI scan, and far from being a mini-stroke, they said I'd actually had a major stroke. And they said that I had been, quote, very lucky. Lynn asked one of the medical team a bit later, well, when do you call something a miracle? And they said, well, we actually don't have a category for that, so we never record anything as that. And they they showed me on the monitor this big, round, white blob about the size of a table tennis ball where a bit of my brain had died. And ever since then, I've told everyone that that's the bit where I keep my jokes. Now, I've not had any issues since then, Apart from the jokes, of course, they never quite recovered. But I do take half a dozen pills every day. And as you can imagine, what happened then is always somewhere in the back of my mind. Why am I telling you all this? Well, I think it's because none of us can ever know what's round the corner. And we can't always assume that God will do the miraculous and bail us out. Wisdom says... That we have to be wise. And for the well being of the church, it's better to have been stopping a bit too soon with a plan in place than a bit too late. Especially if you have great successors waiting in the wings and oven ready, as Boris would say. It's always been really important to me that as a church, we remain in pioneering mode and we don't drift into maintenance mode. Too many churches, it seems to me, and too many pastors are in maintenance mode. But God forbid that Aylesbury Vineyard should ever become that. And one way to try to make sure it doesn't is to make sure that the church is being led by people with bundles of energy and vision and drive. John Wimber, who's the main founder of the vineyard, used to say, take the best and go. In other words, take everything that's best in what you've learned from me, leave the rest behind and go forward and make it better. We are called to be pioneers and not settlers. Question number two, why now? Especially when we're in the middle of this pandemic. And that's probably the hardest of the three questions. Back in early March, when we told the staff team about these plans and we were ready to share them with the key leaders group on the following Monday and then the whole church the following Sunday, September was the time that we all felt was right. It was a good time of year after the school summer holidays, not too close to Thanksgiving or Christmas and the New Year, and September is also the church's birthday month as well. But obviously, though, the first thing we thought when the pandemic hit was, should we be postponing it or cancelling it? Should we stay leading until all of this is over? And as much as anything, we really didn't want to be telling all of you over Zoom or livestream as we are now. We wanted to be seeing you face to face and chatting to you and coming around to see you and giving you a hug and all those kinds of things. So we put the plans on ice and we've been thinking and praying and consulting within the leadership team and the trustees ever since then. We're very big believers in corporate wisdom and corporate hearing from God in decision-making rather than the all too prevalent and individualistic God's told me approach. Sometimes I think the next time I hear someone say, God's told me, I'm going to scream. Especially when what they're saying is patently ridiculous, but it's not up for discussion. In Acts chapter 15, the leaders of the early church in Jerusalem had a major decision to make themselves. And in verse 28, it says that they made their decision on the basis of what seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. Us, plural. Not me and the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 2.16, the Apostle Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. And the we is us, plural. Not every single one of us individually. So what we decided to do in terms of the timing was what seemed good to all of us and the Holy Spirit. So let me quickly tell you a few of the things that we batted around. Our first thought was whether we should delay saying anything until we were all meeting together again. But we felt that that could potentially go on for a long time and there could be various stages before things eventually get back to the normal that we used to have. We thought that we might just delay it until January. But who could be sure that there wouldn't then be another lockdown if there was a second wave? Then what? Do we just delay again? But then we thought, if this is the right thing to do, and James is the right person, if James is the person that we think he is, then why on earth would we think that he wouldn't do at least as good a job leading the church in those circumstances as we would? If September was right to begin with, which we felt it was, then why not stick to that? The thing that we were left with, with all of this thinking and praying and consulting within the leadership team and the trustees was that the only people who would really be affected by announcing this change under the current circumstances, if we weren't able to be meeting together in person, would actually be me and Lynn. The fact that we wouldn't be able to properly say goodbye, as it were. And that didn't seem to be a very good reason to delay or prevaricate. What's best for the church and what's best for James is what should be the most important to us as well. So that's why we're going to stay with September. The plan is to have commissioning services on Sunday, September the 6th, and then farewell to us services on Sunday, September the 13th. Hopefully with everyone here in person. And then finally, question number three, why James? Why didn't we advertise the role and invite applications and do interviews? Well, there's a a number of points on that. The first is that in my experience, both in church and in business, it's a great deal riskier to appoint from outside than it is to appoint from within. I've been involved in many leadership transitions, most recently helping St Albans Vineyard with theirs, And I would say that the most successful ones have been appointments from within. I wouldn't say better the devil you know than the devil you don't know because that's really probably not the best metaphor in our context. But the point of that metaphor is that you need to know someone to really know them. It's actually very easy to look at outside candidates with rose-tinted spectacles because you only see what you see in a few interviews. You only get to see them for short periods of time when they're on their very best behavior and they've come to preach their very best sermon. Also, we've always been very strong believers in relationship. This is a very relational church and our leadership style has always been very relational. And we're not employing someone here as a job or a step on a career ladder any more than it ever was for us. We're asking someone to adopt our baby and love it and cherish it and look after it, just as Mick and Lynn themselves asked us to do seven years ago. The second point is that we began working with James to explore the calling that he felt to church leadership long before we ever invited him to succeed us. When James first shared with us his sense of calling a few years ago, we said that that was great and we would love to work with him on that and give him opportunity and training in pastoral ministry, but with no assumptions or promises as to what the outcome would be from that. There was every possibility that his calling would be through church planting as Daniel and Emily Smith did in Gloucester. So we've been working with James for a long time now. He joined the staff team nearly five years ago when we asked him if he would like to become the storehouse manager. And I remember we asked him at a barbecue at our house and he won't mind me telling you that when we asked him, he cried. Actually, even if he does mind I've told you now anyway. Obviously it was a little bit embarrassing at a barbecue but one of the many many things that we love about James is his big heart for people. More recently of course he's taken on the role of assistant pastor on the staff team and Adam Townsend has been doing a fantastic job taking over from him leading storehouse. So for some years now we've testing that calling and especially James commitment and character in 1 Timothy 3 Paul who is Timothy's mentor runs through a long list of qualifications that he should look for when he's appointing leaders and allowing for a little bit of repetition there there's about 20 qualities listed and interestingly only one of those is to do with gifting ability to teach the rest are all about character. And James has character as well as gifting by the bucket load. In 1 Timothy 3.10, Paul says, let a potential leader first be tested. Only appoint them if they prove themselves blameless. So we have been testing James with a passion. We've tested him to breaking point. And he's never once let us down. He's never once said no, never once complained, never once lost his rag, and never once been anything other than modest, humble, and teachable. He's nothing but a pleasure to work with and to be friends with. And everything that he's done for us, he has done really, really well. We've thrown him all kinds of pastoral hand grenades, and he's caught them, diffused them, And there the metaphor kind of runs out, but I'm sure you get the idea. He's had more pastoral experience in the past year than he ever would have wished for. In terms of qualifications, let's start with some of the most important ones because these are the ones that are learned in the school of life, the school of hard knocks. He's been through a painful divorce, He's experienced multiple traumas in his job as a police officer, and he's been made bankrupt. Not, I hasten to add, because of the lousy salary that we pay him, but because of the divorce before he came to us. James has a heart that is immersed in vineyard values, a passion to build the kingdom, and a passion to help the disadvantaged in our community. He's graduated the two year Vineyard Leadership Program. And before we were given the go ahead for his appointment as a licensed senior pastor from Vineyard Churches, he was thoroughly appraised not just for gifting and calling, but also for spiritual and emotional maturity, character, and vision. And all of that was a long process that involved James filling in lots of questionnaires and psychometric reports and meeting with regional leaders and area leaders and a whole day of interviews. And I'm pleased to say that he passed all of that with flying colours. So James is a wonderful guy, he's gifted, talented, he's compassionate, he's got a big heart for people, a big heart for Jesus, a big heart for Aylesbury Vineyard and bags of character and life experience. The only flaw that I can find is his northern accent. And I'm sure that that will fade if we give it time. So James has our complete confidence, 100%. Okay, a few quick Q&A before I hand over to Lynn. So will Rachel be involved as well as James? Great question, I'm glad you asked that, and the answer is absolutely. But it won't be in a staff role like James, so she won't be a senior pastor. What she will be doing is continuing as part of the church's main leadership team with James and Andy and Valerie Gilbert and Luke and Rachel Martin. In job terms, Rachel will be continuing as a wing commander in the RAF which all of us are completely cool about. There's a couple of things about Rachel you might not know. Uh, One is that for a long time, Rachel has been one of our trustees, which is the church's board of directors. And also she was part of Aylesbury Vineyard and a youth leader here before she was posted up north by the RAF, where she met James and they got married and relocated back to Aylesbury. So the obvious next question is, well, aren't vineyard churches always led by a couple? To which the answer is, no, they're not. I can see why you might assume that, because it is very common. But it's never been a vineyard requirement or even an expectation. There are many, many vineyard churches around the world where the senior pastor role is filled by just a man or just a woman. St Albans, which is another big vineyard quite near us, is not led by a couple. But having said that, I'm sure that you know that we all passionately believe that women and men should be equally involved in all aspects of church leadership and ministry. So it's really important to all of us that there is a visible female pastoral lead role on the staff team. So I'm delighted to tell you that Becky Stevens is going to become an assistant pastor and that she will also be joining the main leadership team. In terms of the workload for a senior pastor, it's important to realize that for a church of our size and structure, it's not all about one or two people. We have over 20 people in staff roles and senior leadership roles overseeing different aspects of what we do here, and dozens of amazing volunteer leaders who make Ellsbury Vineyard what it is. From a continuity perspective, the rest of the main leadership team will all be staying the same. Along with James and Rachel, Andy and Valerie Gilbert, and Luke and Rachel Martin will be continuing as assistant pastors and young adults pastors with Becky joining them. Last question, what will Stephen Lynn be doing next? Well, to start with, we're planning on taking an extended holiday, subject to coronavirus, of course. Then we've got a a couple of trips to the US planned as well over the next three months or so after that, one to a theology conference, and for me, a vineyard research project at a university in Virginia. I'm writing a new book, which will be published later this year. And I'll be writing and recording some teaching modules for vineyard leadership training. And then when we're done with that traveling and we've left James alone long enough to be able to get on with things without us under his feet, we're really looking forward to coming back to Ellsbury Vineyard as part of the congregation, because that's where our friends are and that's where our heart is. For us, church has never been about a job, just as we know that it isn't for James either. So I hope that that's been helpful. You may well have some questions. Feel free to discuss them with anyone you want to. Ask us, ask James and Rachel, Andy and Valerie, Luke and Rachel, Becky or anyone. We like questions. Lynn.
1: I want to say how amazingly proud and privileged I feel to be a part of this church, let alone having had the chance to be a pastor. I've experienced welcome and generosity from the very beginning. When we came from the outside, and we didn't know those of you who were here already, so thank you. I've experienced genuine community on every level with an amazing group of people. The church that we took on from Mick and Lynn Elias was passionate in following Jesus, passionate to see his kingdom and power come into people's lives, and passionate for people's spiritual and physical needs to be met. These have remained core values, and my role here has been very much in building on those things which were already here. The amazing ministry of Storehouse, which we see happening here today, came from really humble beginnings, Uh, It started in Mickinlin's garage and many people here as well as others before them have been involved with its growth and its amazing effectiveness in our town. I personally worked with Mark Parfit before he retired and I've been really inspired by his and Julie's life and ministry. You must read his book when it comes out. This church has truly modelled for me what a a kingdom community should look like. One which cries out to God for the power of his spirit. One that puts worship at the centre of discipleship. One that acknowledges that salvation is not just spiritual. It's emotional. It's physical. Yes, it's spiritual. And it's for all peoples, all nations. It's global. It's cosmic and it's now and not yet. Our pastoral team have been friends and allies with us, people who have inspired and held us accountable. They've kept us honest and vulnerable and they've given us friendship and encouragement. Thank you so much, Andy and Valerie, Luke and Rachel, Rich and Esther, before they left and then James and Rachel. Steve and myself have loved working together with all of you. We've both felt that seven years was the right time for us to be senior pastors here, and we've prayerfully been confident that the leadership team that we've been part of would be the one that would move this amazing church into its next phase. And of course, on top of that, we've also felt and had confirmed for a long time that James would be the one to take up the helm of leadership. And the exact timing has been something we've prayed hard into, coming to a complete unity amongst ourselves and the Holy Spirit for the way forward. Everything was going great until COVID happened and we got so stuck into working out new ways of being church. Um, that we then had to plan how we were going to tell you. We really, really didn't want to tell you over Facebook or Zoom. So we waited and we waited and we realised that we could be waiting a really long time. And then it became obvious that the timing is really, really important for the way forward for the new team. For James and... It's so great that at this time um, you are going to be a new church for a new world led by the person God has called for this time, which is James. We have every confidence that he'll be the right person to empower all of you as the body of Christ to the world. With this amazing leadership team, now including Becky as assistant pastor on staff, Of course, as well as this leadership team, we have our pastoral support team and our staff team and our connect group leaders and our teams that serve on a Sunday. This has always been and will continue to be a church where everyone gets to play, where we don't pretend that there is no difference between people, but we work hard to identify and meet needs to draw out giftings and ministries from people who have no confidence because they were never given any confidence. They were never believed in. We're a church where children pray for adults and where we want to find out what the dreams are for our youth. And we want to work together to make this a safe place and a safe space for black people, for brown people, for all people groups, for women, for children to grow and be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not the finished article. We will cry out to God to help us become all that he wants us to be. I'm not afraid of retirement because I have such an amazing group of friends who have modelled retirement so well for me. Do you realise that a phenomenally large part of the workforce of the church are retired people? I pray I will be like them and continue to seek God's kingdom first in my life, serving his people and being a part of that in Christ community in the world. God has led me in the last couple of years to a particular study of scripture, which I believe he wants me to pursue. Seeing President Trump holding up the Bible this week has made me realise how angry I get that God's word is and has been used to oppress people. And I feel that he's calling me back into the process of study to enable me to engage in the conversation around how we wield the spirit of God, his word, to fight for the freedom of oppressed people in the world. Please pray for me in this. After we've taken a short break in September, I look forward to us sharing stories in many different ways in the future because you will always be my friends. Thank you, James.
2: Well, how do you follow that? Um, you can't really. So I'm not going. I'm not going to try and, and, and do any of that justice. Although, you know, everything that Stephen Lynn have said so far about church and family and kingdom principles and what that means is just so important to me too. And it's a, it's a fantastic privilege. privilege. And I, I recognise the huge responsibility that Stephen Lynn, you know, that they leave big shoes to fill. <clears throat> but I'm really excited for. For what's to come. You know I felt for, for a number of years um, that there was this calling to leadership on my life and, and I can even remember way back as my teenage years that my parents uh, would say that oh they could see me as a Church of England vicar and I used to kind of think no chance I, I don't want to do that but I knew in my heart of hearts that I did have this calling to lead although I didn't know what that looked like at the time and as Steve talked a little about a little bit about earlier on it was only after leaving the police force having been on the front line for 14 years and then long story short being asked to run storehouse when Rach and I uh, moved into Aylesbury uh, so to run storehouse at Aylesbury Vineyard that this passion to lead began and continued to grow with me again and I knew that it It wasn't just about the vulnerable um, that we help here at Aylesbury Vineyard, but it was for the church as a whole. Aylesbury Vineyard is our home. You know, we've, we've built our lives here with Reuben and our other children, Sam and Ben. Uh, and there's just something about the vineyard and its movement and it gets into your blood. It's, it's in my DNA and I, I love its values uh, and all that it stands for. I love my church and my church family uh, and I know uh, that uh, it's just, that's just gonna continue to grow and grow and grow. You know, as Steve said earlier on and Lynn too, we have an amazing group of staff team and volunteers you know we've got 14 people on the staff team and so so many more volunteers that make this place run and tick over and they're so committed and and they're really awesome people we have a fantastic leadership team who are totally steadfast And who will continue to seek God's heart and bring clarity and vision and passion to what it is and where God wants to lead us. You know, we've got Andy and Valerie, we've talked about them a little bit, but those guys are so strong. They've been here from the very beginning with Mick and Lynn Elias as Ellsbury Vineyard grew from nothing. And then continued to support Steve and Lynn and are still happy to continue in that assistant um, pastor role which is fantastic and I'm really pleased about. You know, we've got Luke and Rach who have represented the next generation and remind me that two things that I'm not cool anymore and also that I'm not 25, sadly. And there's a lot to be said about bridging that gap um, um, for the next generation. And I love them for their vitality and their vision too. And then of course, there's Becky, joining the leadership team who is currently on the staff team, as we've said earlier on, but is also going to take on this role of assistant pastor. And I've had the privilege of working with Bex now for nearly five years and we get on famously well with each other, which of course you know, is going to go really well as we move and, and transition and, and grow, continue to grow as a church family. And then there's Rach, my beautiful wife, my secret weapon, Rach will remain a core member of the leadership team <clears throat> while also supporting me wholeheartedly in the background you know we, we live in unprecedented times and that calls for an unprecedented move of the Holy Spirit so just to finish I just wanted to say that I am really really excited about what God has planned for us next as a church as we move into this new season together